Welcome to the 150 Taco Cast. My name is Senior Airman Beckley, and today we will be sitting down with the Command Chief of the 150th Special Operations Wing, Chief Master Sergeant Charlene Shear, to discuss racial equality and diversity in the military and in the civilian world. My go-by name is Shar. <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, the Wing Command Chief for the 150th SAL. Um, I took a very scenic route to this position in that uh, at 18 years old, at, in 1985, I, I needed a way out of New Jersey um, because uh, all of my college scholarships for, were for in-state schools and I just wanted out of Jersey. So um, raised my hand, joined the military on the active duty side and uh, that started my journey. Um, Airman Basic, uh, had zero college credits, slick sleeve, uh, went max time in every rank. <laughs> And uh, separated after four years of active duty, joined the reserves, then joined, uh, sorry, joined the Guard first, the New Jersey Guard, um, then the reserves, uh, separated for six years, came back in, and I was married to an active duty man at the time, so uh, we PCS to Kirtland, and uh, I started drilling with the tacos in 1999, um, and uh, Fell in love with the state, the wing, um, and bought a house because I wasn't leaving. <laughs> uh, and uh, just, you know, uh, with the, the type of leadership that we've had throughout the time that I've been in the wing, um, it, was, it was pretty hard not to progress because they, ch they challenge you to grow and to be more than you are every single day. And uh, so, you know, I, I have the wonderful opportunity to serve as the command chief towards the end of my career and uh, pretty happy to be here. So uh, as a senior enlisted leader of the wing, um, I ensure that the commander's priorities are, are at least paid attention to uh, with regard to the use of resources, the training, and, and making sure our folks are engaged. Um, and one of the, the most important things to me is uh, to make sure that our airmen know their purpose. Um, serving without a purpose means bad retention because there's always something else around the corner. So you know your purpose, then those core values that they taught you in basic training becomes a part of who you are. Um, so I, I think that's very important. And then uh, I'm also the functional for the first sergeants in the group chief. So um, it's, it's a, a pretty big job, um, but it's one that uh, if you're going to spend all the money you have training me over the years, you got to get <laughs> something for it. So I, I welcome the challenge. <laughs> I like that. One thing that um, was surprising to me that I never actually noticed this, and Lieutenant Trujillo said, like, well, how did you not know that? When you mentioned over drill that you were the first African-American woman command chief of the SAO, I, I just never knew that. And he said, well, if you notice the, f the photos on the wall, like, she's obviously different than everybody else. And I said but I, I just didn't notice it. And I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing that um, even though it was right in front of my face, if I had taken the time to stop and look or something, I just didn't notice it. Um, and you, so when you talked about that and brought that up, it was surprising to me and I wanted to talk to you about it and see like, cause you had mentioned that you had seen other women in leadership roles that could have gotten to where you were gotten. And so how your experience with being who you are um, and getting to where you're at, how that's either been negatively affected or positively affected, or how you want to change that for f future generations coming up. Um, 
Yeah, so it it's just, it's not something that I've emphasized mm-hmm. because uh, when I joined the wing, there were chiefs that were um, African-American, chiefs that were, you know, Latino. Um, and it just, it wasn't something that, you know, I thought needed to be emphasized uh, unless you look at that wall. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I realized as I've thought of things over the last few weeks is um, it doesn't need to be the focus for me because I'm still who I am. I've always been <laughs> a black American female. I've always been who I am. Um, but it's more important that the folks in the wing think about who I am to them. Um, and I would hope that seeing that difference has, you know, created a purpose for more people within the wing. I, I'm hoping that the, the female airmen see this as a future, that other black airmen see it as a future, that, uh, <laughs> you know, um, intel folks, maintenance folks all see this as part of their future, um, not because of who I am, but who they see in me. Um, so I, I, I'd like you know, to get out and get to know more people so that I can create that relationship where we have something in common. So now you can look at me and know, hey, that could be me up there. Any airman basic in this wing, uh, you know, I just mentioned that. I want them to know, yeah, you can end up up there. Granted, the people in student flight that you were in uh, student flight with may have two stripes now to your zero, but if you work hard, pay attention to, to the feedback and the training that our folks are giving you, you can end up on that wall. And I'm hoping that in 50 years, <laughs> I'm just the first of many who represent the population of this state. So yes, I would love to see a Native American brother or sister on that wall. So that's what it means to me. It's just, it's just the next step and hopefully the first. I think it's really interesting and also good that like um we don't first off i like me personally we don't i don't really take notice of a lot of these things like i walk through the halls and the highest ranking enlisted member and the highest ranking officer in our building are both women and both minorities in the air force and that's not something that i don't think most people even like to stop to think about because they just you guys just do your job so well and you know us by name and you your community relations is on point and you take care of your airmen so i think that's such a Okay. first like surprising thing that's not something you just immediately think about it's subconscious and then um it's also a really cool beneficial thing that now we're kind of getting more towards a majority leadership if like women and minorities even though they are not the majority of the people well i think the risk though is that uh that and it's just um something that's endemic whenever a goal is met that you relax. Uh, mm-hmm. We go through it with our eyes too where oh we passed relax everybody like puts down the checklist and nothing happens from there. So I, I do think um, even though we are where we are today, we have to, to keep working to, we have to fight to keep our diversity um, and to ensure that representation at, at the leadership level. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of deserving guys in the wing that, that are, their time is coming. And what I don't want to happen is when they're sitting in the seat these seats up here that everyone's saying, well, oh, it's a good old boys club again. No, um, we need to make sure that we're applying those standards so that it's just accepted that whoever's here has earned it. 
and whoever's here is going to take care of the business that they need to take care of. And um, people deserve that kind of respect and that type of consideration, regardless of how they look. So I know in the civilian world, mm-hmm. it's seen that there's a lot of systematic issues that make it more difficult for people of color to get to higher up roles and to be more successful and to be as successful as maybe their white counterparts. Um, but I also know that in the military from our first day, it's basically beat into our heads that we're all the same and we're all brothers and sisters and it doesn't matter your sexual orientation, your race, your religion, that you're going to be there for that airman next to you and you're going to have their back no matter what. And that's always something that I've been very comfortable knowing that most of the people that I've met in the military, even if like we may not get along, that if it comes down to it, they're going to have my back and I'm going to have their back and I know I have these resources. Um, do you think that knowing that that's kind of how we're instilled and that's how our, um, our like, that's how we're kind of taught to treat each other. Do you think you've ever felt any of the type of any type of systematic issues being a person of color moving up the ranks that's maybe seen in the civilian world or like thought to be seen in the civilian world? When we when we talk about something as complex as systematic racism, um, we can't remove the impact that biases have mm-hmm. um, on it. So. Uh, I've never been one to go around, you know, pointing to people saying you're a racist and you're a racist, you know. But I will say that um, a lot of times, and, and I've seen this where because a leader sees themselves in someone, that person becomes the golden child, and then everybody else has to fight to get what that person has <laughs> been able to have access to pretty easily. So. Um, I've just never been an in-crowd kind of person. Um, so, like I said, everything I've gotten, I've had to earn. Um, <laughs> and uh, the only the only time I could look back and say that I it was likely uh, some of the uh, biases and, and maybe racial discrimination was uh, during my active duty time, uh, you know, you have the below the zone um, uh, opportunity and uh, what that is is it allows you to go before board compete for the opportunity to be promoted six months prior to the minimum time that everyone else can promote and uh, I was one of I was the only airman in my entire shop that was never allowed to go before that board I was also the only African-American airman <laughs> in my shop um, so as I look back on who the commander was um, and who the chief was and even the first sergeant and just some of my interactions with them, um, like I said, as I look back, I'm like, yeah, that there may have been some racial issues there. But I will also say that my shop chief and the deputy commander of that squadron, they were amazing leaders. And you can learn just as much what not to do as you can what to do. So... Um, I was a better airman for dealing with that. Don't want to make excuses for the fact that they allowed that into their leadership um, decisions because that is absolutely unacceptable. But um, that's something that a lot of our Af- my African-American brothers and sisters have to deal with. You got to bounce back because if you let it get you down, you'll never be able to get past it and you'll be angry and you'll end up depriving yourself of opportunities. So you either fight back using the the regs that are in place 
Um, you fight back showing them that, okay, you put that, that pretty average person in place instead of me. Um, and they're going to expose themselves and you're going to see what I can do. And, you know, you're going to make the mission suffer. So it's just, everybody has their own journey and we have to honor that journey and we have to respect the journey. And we need to make sure that we're not making someone else's journey that hard. Awesome. I like that. Um, so we read over Chief Magistrate Wright's um, Facebook post and comments mm -hmm. right before this. And um, you mentioned that one part that kind of stood out to you. Can you explain that to us and why it stood out to you a little bit? When he made the comments about, yeah. obviously, when he sees blue lights in his rearview mirror, he gets nervous, but he's not afraid as a black man to be shot by a white officer. He's more afraid to hear that one of his airmen had gone through that. Yeah. You know, every time I hear about an incident, um, and what really strikes me usually is it's an innocuous thing. Uh, your your taillight was out or, or oh, you may have been passing a counterfeit bill. It's just pretty minor things that you usually don't think force would be involved with. And mm -hmm. the next thing you know, a name is, is on the TV. Police officers have shot someone. And, and it's just, it's not constitutional. And it just, it's crushing. And I always think of who I know in this wing that look like those person that could be the name across the screen. And it has got to stop because, you know, I know who these people are and even the ones that I don't. And we are all afforded the same protections under the law. And there's no way I should have to deal with that fear on behalf of my airmen um, just because someone's having a bad day, <laughs> you know. So... Um, it is something that we have to do within our community, and that means um, I have to make sure that everyone understands that when these uniforms come off, um, my airmen look like everybody else, and then they're going to be treated like everybody else by whoever has decided they deserve to be treated a certain way. And that's where... You know, we got to get out there and make sure people know, okay, you say not everybody's a racist and, and there's only 2% of the population. Okay, but if that one of those percentages is dealing with my guy and my guy ends up on TV um, because he's been unfairly targeted, then that's a problem. I don't care how small the percentage is. And, you know, I, it just, I don't know. The, the solution isn't something that we can magically snap our fingers and make happen, but it's something that we all have to fight for. That's what it means to me. It has to be the same. And I'm not Susie Sunshine thinking that um, just because the law is in place, everybody's going to fall in and, and follow it, but we got to get the right laws and regulations in place so that we have a standard that we can hold people to. It's like, you're meeting it, you're not. So you have to be taken care of. Um, and that, that's, that's where I am. I'm still working my way through this to figure out where I fit into this solution. But it's something that has to happen, and it has to happen um, where I can have that impact. And right now that impact is as Wing Command Chief on base and as a citizen of Albuquerque off base and in New Mexico. So I think one of um, the parts of uh, Chief Wright's comments that stuck with me the most is that throughout the whole thing what he 
he didn't stress that he was the highest ranking enlisted member in, in the Air Force. He didn't stress his position. He stressed that he is a human being that has experienced things and seen things who happens to be the chief master sergeant of the Air Force. And I think that's incredibly important because, like you said, as soon as we take the uniform off, we're just like anybody else. And if for something were to happen to him, obviously there'd be an incredible outrage mm-hmm. because he is the singular, one of the singular highest ranking military members on the planet. But that shouldn't change if it's just a, a kid. That's one thing that really I thought really hard about is that he stressed that he is just a man yes. who happens to hold this role. And that I think that what he's basically trying to say without saying it is that the role shouldn't matter. So It's true. So, yeah, that, that really like, stuck with me a lot. And um, I think it's also pretty significant that just yesterday the chief of staff of the Air Force was appointed um, I think it's yesterday. Now, yep. um, the highest-ranking enlisted and highest-ranking officer members of the Air Force are yep. both African-American men. General Brown. Which, uh, to my knowledge, is the first time that's ever happened, mm. at the same time, at least. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, um, it does, and, and it is. It's very important, but it's like I said uh, when you asked me about, you know, you know, how I feel about, you know, being the first black female first female, first black chief um, of the cell. Uh, I just don't want them to be put in the position of having to constantly talk about their experience, existential. They got a job to do, yeah. and, and they need to be able to focus on that. So um, it's important that they have that platform, and, and I, we don't need to put any more pressure on them to be the standard. But um, I think the most important part is uh that you know our fellow airmen are saying that's our standard period okay if you've decided that that the race is important then that's something you need to search your heart for or if that's just if it's just a matter of oh my gosh i see somebody who looks at me like me up there i'm gonna go to the academy and and make that journey um if it's you know, you always have someone who either has a a reason to strive or reason to hate, um, and that's where we need to figure out where we can make progress on that. Because those who are open to the positive, that's not who we really need to be dealing with. It's those who are closed mm-hmm. to the positive that we have to figure out how to how to break that um, that lock or climb that wall or break down that barrier. Um, so it, that's where I say there's a lot of work that has to be done. Some people will be swayed by facts. Some people are just going to grab onto their biases and hold on just because that's where they want to be. And, uh, you know, I don't know what else to say except we got to keep making it so that the standard drives what we do, not people's biases and ideas about what we do. So um, I have been kind of, I talked to you a little bit about this. I've been kind of involved a little bit more in like the local protests and the local mm-hmm. movements that are going on. Um, more so because at the beginning I didn't really understand a lot of it. Um, and I'll be the first one to admit that when the first, this this movement first came around, like, well not first came around, but like the current one first started like three or four years ago, I didn't really listen. And because um, I didn't see it. I have the privilege of not seeing these things happening. Um because of where I live or my life situation. I don't see these things and I don't hear about them. And so 
I'll be the first one to admit that I was a little silent and kind of unknown, but didn't do the, any research to help myself out in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I first went to the first like protest in Albuquerque to document it and listen, mm-hmm. basically my purpose to be there. And, um, it, in Albuquerque, especially like, uh, we've had all the protest, most of the po- protests have gone through like really, really peacefully. Um, police have cooperated, like protesters have cooperated. They've been given the platform to speak. Um, and police in Albuquerque have cleared traffic for them and they've made sure the streets are open for them to march. And, um, there haven't been too many issues outside of like the late night riots that have happened separate from the protests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that I was originally nervous about is that I am a military member and I wasn't exactly sure where I could be, what my role could be, or what I could potentially do in this, in this type of situation where I think that all of us are angry and upset and I'm angry that I have friends that I am now worried that something may happen to them or I'm like worried that they aren't being treated fairly maybe. And, mm-hmm. um, it's a new thing for me and that's kind of a, which is good and bad that now I'm starting to feel these and see these things. Mm-hmm. But, um, so as a, an, an enlisted member, like how do you recommend that our enlisted members, maybe if they want to have a voice or they want to participate or they want to be a part of something that they believe in like this, how do you recommend them be involved in that, but also stick to the UCMJ and represent the military properly and not potentially get themselves in any, military trouble because that's kind of kind of beneficial at the same time um so it goes back to you uh you have to this is where judgment comes in and um the first thing you want to do is if you're going to affiliate with a a an activist group or anything like that make sure that they're abiding by the law make sure if there's going to be a protest there's a permit so that the police are out there to you know make the way for you as opposed to being lined up in riot gear against you um it make sure you're not protesting in uniform oh by the way and oh by the way not everyone feels comfortable acting using protest as their voice so find an organization then that is um creating materials and messages and and um learning materials, anything like that, that is pushing this movement forward. If, if protest isn't the way you want to go, then find your voice. Maybe it's in the political arena. Um, and once again, you, they, you can't use your military affiliation to advocate for that, but you're a citizen too. And you have a right to have a voice in where your, your politics are going. Um, you have a, a voice in where the laws are, are that are being written. So um, learn everything you can, figure out what voice you want to use, make sure it's within the laws and guidelines of the, the UCMJ, like you mentioned, and AFIs. Um, our, our PA has come out with some great guidance on what you can and can't do. As a reminder, use it. Um, and, you know, be creative make art do something uh, the the key is we can't let the momentum die from a lack of action and a lack of interaction so um if you're an introvert and being around a lot of people isn't where you want to be 
you know, there's there's media that you can use to get your message across. There's there's Etsy. There's so much out there that people are using um, to make sure that their thoughts on this are are out there and and you know something that can be acknowledged and something can be used to to encourage others to step forward. And I think that's where we are. Um, we we are finally starting to see that the more modern tools that are out there um, can be put forward and and used to um, get that message across. It doesn't always have to be holding signs, even though that's important too. Um, holding signs and and beating people across the head with wood uh, signposts. Mm-hmm. That's just it's it's not 1920 anymore so uh, let's use all of that to move forward as a group and let's acknowledge that everyone has a different contribution to the journey i agree i think that especially um uh, everybody in the military is so skilled in different Mm -hmm. and specific ways there's so many different ways that you can contribute Mm -hmm. Uh, like for me my way that i thought the best way that i could contribute is that i could document the story visually because that's the the only way i know how to tell a story the best and that's the way that I know how to express things the best and that's the biggest platform I had the biggest audience I had and yeah. I was like this is how I know that I can do something or I can share something or I can just even if I'm completely non-opinionated in my I can just tell people what it is and show them what has happened yeah and um I think that that can be said for almost for almost everybody in the military they all we all have specific skill sets that can help there's that or there's just hey if you see it Say something. Yeah. You know, that's one of the the hardest things for me in life has been the betrayal of friends where I do want to speak up about something that has happened to me. And I'm like, are you sure that's what you heard? That's not what that is. So the, the idea that they would more quickly affiliate themselves with someone who has thoughts or biases like that than believe me a person that they've known for a while and and you know I like to think they know I'm not a whiner but that's the impression you're giving me is as soon as I mention that I feel as if that that is happening the denial of it so that's something that everyone should you know look back and and kind of reflect on do you have someone who a person of color be they Native American who said um, you know what? That guy doesn't like me because I'm native and you've discounted that. That's it's a stab. And and so it's something that you could you need to work on too in in your, you know, the the personal relationships also. So everything there's just layers of work that needs to happen in this and and it's important that we do this now that more and more people are aware of this so yeah I think that's um, been the kind of the power of social media mm-hmm. um, which I have my issues with social media there's things that I dislike but there's also this aspect of it where things are so quickly shared and yes. so and that can also be down like a downfall because things could be shared out of context or not yes. fully um, and that's why we do have to do our research and we do have to double check our facts a lot of the time but nowadays if you see something happening and you just really quick take a video on your phone and you share it and it is truthfully something that shouldn't have happened or it's hateful or it's racist or it's biased um it can really call people out like i don't 
without social media and technology, maybe with the incident that happened in Minneapolis, we may have never have gone anywhere. Right. Um, cause it's just his word versus ours, the people that were there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that's really kind of pow- a powerful resource. And so I've seen, there's so much going on in social media right now talking about all the issues. And one of the things that I've seen that I'd love to know your opinion on is that I've seen a, a smaller group of people, but a group of people that are saying that unless you are African-American, you shouldn't be sharing this story, that it's not our story to share. And I want to know your opinion on it because I have my opinion and I can share it after. But they said that it, as photographers or creatives or videographers or anybody, and you shouldn't be sharing the story because it's not your story to share. <laughs> I definitely uh, don't agree with that because um, in the end, we share our country. Um, we share our cities. We share our, our, our spaces. Um, and if you're seeing it, then it's now part of you. You're, it's part of your experience. So you're experiencing someone else being discriminated against. It's, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And the idea that, that you can't share that then, if that's your voice, is I, I, you know, I just can't fathom that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've never heard that. Uh, to be honest, most of the stuff I see is is thanking the um, our advocates and and the 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 folks who are finally you know calling out their fellow uh, family members. You know, you can have an impact with a racist family member in a way that I can't. And any impact or any move forward is important for us to get to a point where. Um, everyone who's contributed to the greatness of this country is afforded the same rights and, and privileges. So that's, I, I don't know how else to say it. I just yeah. don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I completely agree. And I guess from like more of like a, a younger generation and like a person who is more on social media than you probably are, mm-hmm. um, it frustrates me because a lot of people that have been saying this are people with large audiences. Like one of the guys that I saw say it, a white man with over 200,000 people in his audience. And I know for a fact that there's going to be people who don't want to hear these things, who don't want to see these things and make them uncomfortable because the second I started sharing it, I started losing audience members. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I kind of thought that was a good thing. It's like, that means there was people that were uncomfortable seeing this. I didn't say an opinion. I didn't say anything controversial. I just shared the images of what was happening mm-hmm. and I lost audience members. And that's, I don't care because it's not the purpose of it, but that means that there is a, a group of people that didn't want to see that they were uncomfortable yes, seeing that. Yes, are deliberately and shutting their eyes. The fact that I made them see it before they unfollowed me or mm-hmm. before they clicked off my profile, like that was important. And I know for a fact that there's these bigger people who have bigger audiences who have percentages of these people who don't want to see these things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of the exact opposite of what these people are saying, that it's not our story to share. I was like, I feel like that's exactly why we should share it because mm-hmm. a lot of people that it is their story, they're involved. They don't even, maybe they don't have the opportunity to even capture anything, to share anything. They are too busy fighting it. They're too busy being in it. They're too busy trying to not be discriminated against or trying to work for a cause that if it's not our story, we have the privilege of being on the outside. We have the privilege of being able to watch and share it from the outside perspective and so i think that's very important Mm -hmm. like i think the exact opposite of that i think that because it isn't our story as like a white man i'm not 
I'm not discriminated against. Like, so because that is not my storyline, I think it's extremely important for me to share it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a huge fan of documentaries. Um, <laughs> me as me as well. And, and uh, <laughs> there was the the one that really captured my attention was jazz, and it is a a music that is predominantly black um, artists who have changed the entire complexion of music worldwide. Um, it is a, a, a music genre that is native to the U.S. And if that white man had not done that documentary, then there's, I think, generations of people who would not have known the history of jazz. So in creating that documentary, he didn't go out and um, capture all of the media used in it. He had to use clips, photos, everything, music clips, video clips, everything from other chroniclers. So that's, that's where, you know, what you're doing falls in as important. You are actually recording events, not an interpretation of the event, but actual events that can be used in the future to tell this story. This, this could be a pivotal turning point in this country. And, you know, we need to have that story told. So um, I'm going to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you'll always have people trying to tell you not to do something. There, there, there are always people who think they know what you need to do better than what you. And I'm, that's something definitely that you can't let that stop you from doing what you feel you need to do to contribute to this movement. So um, I say that to all folks, but I'm speaking to. Ian Beckley. And I, I obviously have seen both sides of it as well. So I've had the unfollows and I've had these people like, don't share the story. It's mm -hmm. not your story. But then I've had the, the girl who messaged me saying that she wanted to go to the protest and her friend was going to go with her, but got called into work. So she ended up going on her own and she saw the photo that I took of her and that she was so grateful because it, she felt like so like involved in the community. Mm -hmm. And so how she told me, she told me how she was nervous to even go because she didn't know because if she would be accepted because she's light skinned mm -hmm. and she didn't know she was black enough to be accepted into a Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. so. Well, it's just, uh, was it on online yesterday? There was uh, the incident in, I believe it was Montana and they show the, um, the uh, black lady looking up at the angry white guy and um, just the snapshot of that moment. Um, it really, it could end up being the photo of this entire event. And, and nobody knows who was behind the camera. Nobody knows the color of the person behind the camera. They just captured a moment. And that's where um, it, it's, it's pretty powerful what media can do to tell a story in a way that words can't. And we can't let that be stifled. Mm -hmm. That's all. Yeah, I agree. I am. Um because I was get, I I went on like an Instagram rant recently because there's a whole bunch of influencers who have been trying to monetize this situation, mm -hmm. which that's another story. I like yeah. I, I freaked out. I was angry. I was very angry because there are people in my community who are trying to make money and make and get followers and social media influences and gain sponsorships to mm -hmm. do Black Lives Matter posts or to do posts about equality. And I'm like that screwed up. But um, I could go off on that for a while. Oh, <laughs> um, I've been seeing it too. You can ask anybody who may follow me on social media. It was a good day or two where I was just straight posting about 
<laughs> those those things. Yeah. You know, uh, so you're seeing it at the, the micro level, and, and it's just all these corporations now that are coming up with their pronouncements. And I'm like, yeah, let me see the demographics of your board. We, all of a sudden, you know, you've got this on a T-shirt. And, and I'm like, where were you before people had to die <laughs> yeah. to do this? So it, it's, it, it is the seedy underbelly of anything we do in this country where uh, some people will exploit anything to, to get something out of it for themselves. So um, thank you for being ethical. Thank you for, uh, you know, making your stand. And uh, I appreciate it. Okay. So how do we, with what seems to, seems to continuously be an issue, how do we keep the pressure up? Because we can't well, let things fall off. We can't let people be like, well, we protested for two months and we had a few changes, but then anything that yeah. m maybe didn't happen. So, um, and that's where you got to look at the, the nature of, of these things. It's all cyclical. And the key is um, the momentum won't necessarily continue on the streets, but it has to continue somehow. Um, and, and so, so corporations kind of wait us out with regard to this kind of stuff and politicians wait us out. Um, and that's where you know, this is an election year for president. That's important, but more important is the election years for congressmen, the election years for governors, um, the election years for state legislators. If you want to really change, there's nothing the federal government can do to change your police force. <laughs> That's a local issue. So we can't get addicted to the excitement of, of the protests, et cetera, even though there do need to continue to be organized protests just to remind people, hey, we're still here. But we now have to mobilize this into actionable items. And that means legislation. Um, we need to have uh, lawyers willing to do pro bono work. Um, we have to figure out how we can get um, police forces to change their training. Um, we have to figure out how to get uh, certain agreements between um, unions and police forces leadership so that they can address bad actors within their force. Uh, and, and it's just, um, when, when you get, um, so addicted to the, the overt movement, the aspect of a movement such as protest, it's very easy. Once the protests aren't happening, you, you go back home, you pick up the, the Xbox and, and think you're you've done your part. We haven't done our part yet. All we've done now is we we've told a bunch of people who rely on our votes for election um, or to be appointed by people that we elect. We've basically served notice to them that we are here and you're going to have to answer to us. And now we have to make sure that we keep the pressure on them. And the way to do that is, you know, let's look at who's contributing to these these campaigns who who are the people backing these folks and and do we have to take money out of your pocket as a business to make sure that you know that we're on to you 
and who you're backing and what they're doing. So that's where that micro level comes in. Make sure your dollars are talking, make sure your votes are talking. Um, and you know, that's, that's how we got to stay organized. And there's some really skilled people (laughs) in doing that as far as keeping people mobilized and, and focused on what the next step is. We've got to hold them accountable too, because, you know, can't give them power and then not make them use it for our good. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just, it's a lot of stuff that's running through my mind constantly on what we can do and, and what the next step is. And, you know, that's, that's how I see it. Yeah. So the, the, the next question is how as a military, cause you mentioned you thought the military could be on the front foot of everything and the front foot of change. And we are a lot of the times, I mean, mm-hmm. We're the first group of people to get a new vaccine. Didn't make to see if it works. We're, um, <laughs> yay! <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you guys know if the coronavirus vaccine works. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you we'll bring that, that up. So uh, <laughs> the reason I brought that up when I when I addressed uh, our formation was, uh, you know, the the military um, desegregated in 1948. That's 20 years before the Civil Rights Act. Um, and it wasn't lollipops and rainbows. There were racists in the military who were against it. Um, but, you know, once, once they decided to do it and they wrote the laws as they were ordered to, and then they had to start enforcing the laws as they were ordered to, we weeded some people out that needed to get out. And those who were willing to toe the line, they may have still been racist, but they towed the line and that got our foot in the door. And that that's, you know, something that um, as we go through this, you know, General Goldfein started this um, before these events happened. He started looking into these things. And uh, I'm not saying that we're wonderful and progressive, but I do think that, you know, once we in the military have determined that something needs to be addressed, it's going to be addressed to the nth degree. Yep. Um, hopefully CBTs won't result, you know, <laughs> but uh, I just, uh, we've got the people who've lived it. We've got the, uh, the people who can, can uh, analyze it and, and figure out how we can fix it. Um, and we also have the resources to attack a problem from, multifaceted directions and so that's where we have because it's it's all already already have that center of gravity in place to do it mm-hmm. we just got to figure out what the problem is and we're already acting on it that's where i think the military has a an advantage over just society in general there's my bias i've been associated yeah. with the military for 29 years and i just uh well, I didn't count the six years I was out, by the way, um, 29 <laughs> years. And so I, I tend to to have a lot of confidence in what we can do. Um, and it's never easy, but if we've decided it's worth doing, it's worth doing and we're going to do it. So, you know, let's get to work. And I think that one of the big things is a lot of people on the outside, they look at the military, it's very similar to police force in terms of organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different we have one thing I think that's really important with the military is we have a very strict like code of ethics and I think every single person in the military knows 
that we we fear it a little bit. Like we we know that it does its job, and we know that the UCMJ does its job, and we know our leadership does its job, and punish people for doing things wrong. People are properly like getting repercussions for wrongdoings and acts that are not in the code of our our ethics as military members. And I think even the people that you said that like touch the line, that like run the line, who may be racist or maybe maybe not the best human beings i think it, at least in the military they can, they fear the repercussions because it's held up so if you, i know this is going to be a difficult question to answer but so if you had to look at like the short term like next five years like how would you think that we can take a step forward in the military military to progress and improve um just human equality issues in the military and in the civilian world uh so, and, and I'm an overbank thinker on this, and I just don't know how many times I'm going to say this. Um, so, one of the important things to, to understand with regard to this is that there are there are cultural biases, there are cognitive biases, and then there are just institutional, systematic, systemic type things. Um, if we are going to attack this in the military, I think the first and and to me. Five years is is tactical. It's it, that's a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure folks know what their biases are and how they got there, because the only way to really deal with a bias is to actively know it's there so that you can say, okay, I know this is how I think, so I'm not going to think that way. That may actually have to happen. Um, <laughs> It, it really is. Uh, we have so much information we're taking in that our brain automatically has patterns that we, we fit things into. And if that pattern involves the fact that the only time before you joined the Air Force that you saw a person of color was in a movie, um, so that's what you've attributed to a whole race because of that, then you need to address that bias. If your bias is because the news that you've chose to watch um, tends to only show people in in certain ways, then that's a bias that you have to acknowledge. Um, and that, that goes back to, you know, if you are only exposing yourself to things that are agreeable to you and what you think, then you are going to perpetuate the biases that you have. And that's where things may... Um, may fall apart for you and so um when when leadership only seeks to um assist or or afford privilege to those that they can identify with then that perpetuates the fact that our leadership levels don't reflect our entire force um, because that's who you're mentoring and if that's a, an important part of where you're going, then you're only going to mentor your buddies. So five years from now, I would like to see um, bias educated um, as far as identification, how to mitigate those biases, and then how to afford 
the type of representation that we need at the leadership levels. And one of the things that, that you may have to do is a lot of what we do is uh, we'll have a bunch of people go into an interview, a board for promotion or for hiring, and, well, that, that's the high-speed guy. That's the guy it has got to be. He's the best. He's the best. Um, maybe the discussion should be, okay, these four people can all do this job. Now, who is not represented in my staff out of all those people that can do the job that we should have here so I have that voice at the table? Um, and so it's going to have to happen at all levels. You know, we, we think, oh, that needs to happen at the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Well, no, it doesn't. It needs to happen at, at the staff sergeant or the tech sergeant board. Um, and, and it starts, it, that means it starts with your first line supervisors and, and your flight chiefs. So it, it's going to take uh, academics, it's going to take um, relationships. So even wing events are going to have to happen so that we get to know each other on a social level. Um, so we have to get that revitalized. Uh, we have to revitalize professional organizations within the wing um, so that we're meeting to, to create uh, network and relationships at the different rank or tiers. Um, and so it's going to take a reprioritization of resources um, to enable that so that leaders aren't put in a position of forcing mission as opposed to growth and development of, of their people. I have one more question. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of um, talk on Facebook in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement, but I've also seen a lot of positive change uh, and evolve, evolvement of how this has moved um, forward on Facebook and other different types of social media where I've not only just seen Black Lives Matter, but it's Black Lives Matter Brown Lives Matter. So it's not just the one minority voice being heard, but other people mm -hmm. are realizing that it's not just the one voice. Right. It's both of the voices that need um, attention and more, and um, what's the best way of putting it? Not um, being brought forth. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts in not just saying, well, there's just one minority, minority group not being heard. It's both of these minority groups not being heard and bringing it and involving it from just one voice and to both voices and saying um, we just don't need change for this one group we need change for both groups mm -hmm. um, so when we talk about movements um, the the relationship between those movements that needs to happen on on the street level but when we start working towards legislative change um, it's it shouldn't the, the legislation is not going to be written where you know, police, you should not uh, brutalize black people. It's going to be written, hey, don't brutalize anybody. Everyone has, has the right to due process. So I like the fact that they're joining because the more voices, the better. Um, and I think when I, when I, I've read, because a lot of, some of that started somewhat contentiously with, you know, I, I read the, the All Lives Matter and, and all this stuff, and I'm like, um, yeah, that's the point. That's why we have Black Lives Matter and Brown Lives Matter, because all lives do matter. And um, so as, as 
different groups get together, we need to, um, because it's more pressure on the folks that need us, much more than they realize as they allow us to be marginalized. Um, so um, I would like to see uh, uh, you know, continued relationship between the different groups. Mm -hmm. I would. So I, I don't know, um, does that answer your question or am I not hitting what I need to? No, that's good. Okay. I think one thing that is um, very important as us being guard members at least is that with, um, we have all the resources in the military and I think as a whole, the military is a very understanding organization with our members. Um, it obviously depends on your job because when I came from maintenance to public affairs, my views changed very heavily because um, I actually met yes. people and I actually knew people. And my commander knew who, my, who, who I was and everything. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Colonel Chavito was my commander at maintenance and he had no idea who I was. And now he <laughs> walks by my desk every day. He's like, Beckley. <laughs> and he goes, Din Star. And I'm just like, yes, sir. <laughs> um, but he had no idea who was in maintenance. Um, mm -hmm. And I was also in a TFI shop in maintenance. So I was all around active duty. And so I think in the military, let's say, I think guard actually may have one of the most important roles in this because one, we're in the military and we're going to be a part of like the systematic stuff that's going to happen. We're going to be a part of the trainings. We're going to be a part of the, the diversity, the biases mm -hmm. um, and realizing all that and learning all of that. But we are more so even a part of our community. Yes. And like you said that this is all going to start at a local level where your mayors, your local representatives, your city council, your governor, um, the head of your police force, you know, chief of police, um, it's all going to be such a like start so locally that guard members have a really important role, I think, because we are such a huge part of our community. Like I have so many friends who are very, very different, maybe politically than I am, but they're good people and we're able mm -hmm. to have conversations. We like some of my best friends, we are maybe on the exact opposite size political spectrums, but like we're best friends and we talk about everything and we understand each other. And so now, like, even if I disagree with something and I see them out there, I understand them and I know why they're doing these things mm -hmm. and I know why they're like, why they feel these ways. And I understand maybe their history, their background, and I can bring that into my military experience or I can take the things I learned in the military, maybe something I get from the equal opportunity office or maybe some training I get about learning my biases and I can communicate, communicate that to my friends and my community. And, um, as guardsmen, we have like kind of just like a responsibility to yes. bring our knowledge that other people aren't given and our resources other people aren't given to share with our community and so i think like when you said that we can be on the front foot i think actually think that the guard can be one of the biggest influences which is like i hope that we can take advantage of it but i agree with you there because we're we are the hybrid military and community mm -hmm. and uh, we stay here so yes. what we plant is what we're going to sow and so yeah and, and I, oh by the way a lot of our guardsmen there are a lot of police officers in this guard and they're good people and they, they serve with honor and they deserve to be able to serve in their civilian capacity without having questions asked just because of the uniform they wear out there. So any change we make is going to benefit them too. Um, I am, I am so proud of, uh, you know, I was in a formation one day. Um, it was for, some, it might have been for Colonel Sablon's change of command. And uh, next to, uh, I believe she was an airman first class. We were just chatting, you know, <laughs> yeah, this. And I said, so what do you do? I'm a police officer, APD. And I'm like, nice. So, you know, it just, and she's, a, I'm, I believe, a maintainer. Um, so they're, they're not necessarily in security forces either, that's my point. 
they're all over this wing and uh that's why when i when i hear you know i, I scroll through facebook looking for my pictures of puppies but um <laughs> you know when i when i read you know not all police officers are bad police officers etc so on i agree um as a matter of fact i say 99 percent of them are good the one percent though that thrive that cause a lot of these issues um, aren't being addressed. They're not being held accountable to a point where the community that you're responsible for is seeing that you are no longer part of that community, um, that you're no longer being allowed to do those things. So that's where the accountability piece comes in. And I think that is really the biggest part of this is um, to protect our police officers and to protect people of color, um, we need to see those folks held accountable. It's, it's just amazing how, um, the, the police officer that, that shot the, the 12 year old boy in the park, um, I believe, what was that Cincinnati or Cleveland? One of those sea cities in Ohio. (laughs) Anyway, um, first of all, he had already been deemed not police officer material by another, you know, um, department. However, he was able to become a police officer with another, and it's because there are certain standards. There should be minimum standards where if, like if you found that you can't be a cop somewhere, then don't be a police officer. It should be nationwide, else. too, because standards exactly. are different by state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I think of, of when I talk about change. That's what I'm talking about, just little things that can keep potential bad actors from getting a weapon and then when they're in the force allowing the good police officers in the avenue to actually address it because right now if they point that out there's probably rules in place that the police leadership has to say well thank you for reporting that but he has due process so so now you've put a target on yourself so that that discourages them being able to police themselves and and then once they finally expose themselves because we've allowed them to get to a tipping point where they they get to kill somebody then it's paid suspension really um an indictment that doesn't happen i mean look at look at how many of them don't even go to trial and so that's where the change needs to happen and and that's why um, you know, it's such a mixed bag of, you know, I'm not a proponent of, you know, just throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but I do think that there is a lot of room for correction and it needs to happen. So that's where I am with that. How do you feel going forward as being who you are in the military and as a civilian, how do you feel in terms of changing things? And do you feel confident? Do you think this could be different this time than it's been in previous? Because I, I personally, I feel like it's it feels different. Like because I feel. What, I think what you're saying is that this has happened before. George Floyd isn't mm-hmm. the first African American yeah. to be killed by a white cop, and certain things have happened. Certain movements have happened. However, we didn't see much change. But with George Floyd, it does feel way different. It feels like there's there's more there's more protests. There's more angry people. There's more there's more um, anger out in out in the universe right now because of it. I um, mean, I don't know if it's just because of George Floyd or or because of also the 
the other African-American gentleman that was murdered not too long before that. Yeah, Ahmaud Arbery? Yes, and then with that, with it just kind of snowballing forward, it's causing more of a movement. Do you think Mm -hmm. that there will be actual change with this incident versus the other incidences that have happened? I do want to add a name, Breonna Taylor. Um, Anyway, so I think the change that has happened so far where um, more people are acknowledging now that it is an issue is is huge um, so like I said before you can't unsee and I think the most critical part of the, the Floyd um, incident I'd never watched the video I'm not going to um, but the look on that police officer's face that was captured as he did that is having a huge impact because before there was always a reason Oh, he was running away. Oh, he was doing something criminal. This time you're seeing the hate and the disregard for human life on a person in uniform's face. And you could deny it if you want to. But what I think is happening is is those that are not um, supporting this movement, they're having to find other diversionary things to talk about now because that story is being told right then and there that photo will always remain and that's where I think the change that we could see become permanent which is going to take time like I said with I think legislation um, having that on the record is going to be huge to um, at least cause police forces how much you want to bet when they're having their morning meetings they're saying, hey, don't let this escalate like that. Quit quit going for the gun first. Um, I bet some trainings are happening because nobody else wants to be Minneapolis. I bet cops are angry too because I've met they're, they're, they're mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. You know what? You're right. You're right. I have seen a lot of posts by police officers mm-hmm. who are disgusted also. So that's where um, when we say, "Will do I think there will be change? I think it's our, some of it's already happened. I don't think we should settle for the change that's already happened. We need to keep fighting for more. But it's happened. And I think the biggest part of it that recent, like until now I haven't seen is that when I've documented these events, mm-hmm majority of these people aren't black that have been at them. They're just every single race. There's Mm -hmm. white people, brown people, Native American people, Asian people, black people, um, everybody. And I think that speaks more to it's just not, it's not just one singular race is trying to speak up, it's everybody. Mm -hmm. And we're all angry and people are angry and people just want everybody to be treated fairly. And so I think that it's a great thing to start off on and we have to keep pushing forward yeah and i also think um one of the things we need to do so it happens in in college classes when you take um black studies classes or or women's studies classes where they discuss the different discrimination so there does need to be a redefining not a redefining but a a re-education of people on what racism is what discrimination is what prejudice is, because if you break it down like that, then the whole I'm not racist core um, can be made to acknowledge that you may not be a racist, but you're prejudiced. As, <laughs> you are so, you discriminate like nobody's business. You know what I mean? So removing that 
barrier and may force some of the, the holdouts to at least acknowledge that they're contributing to the problem by stick by hanging on to those prejudices under the guise of but I'm not racist. In the end, you know what? I'm I'm sitting in the office. I'm a, a an African American lady. I'm being interviewed by a a white man and I have a brown tech sergeant sitting in my office also. Um and I love you guys. Um and we are in this together and we are going to attack this together because we want to make this a better country. And um, I will march with you guys even after I retire <laughs> to, to help make the guard better and continue to improve. So I don't know if that's a good summary, but it's what I got. <laughs> that's perfect. Right. Cool. Thank you so much, man.